Welcome, everyone, to Fiona's R&D Tax Credit Podcast. Switching roles briefly for this episode, you're hearing from Matthew DeMello, normally the host of the Fiona Show Transfer Pricing Podcast. But we're switching roles in this episode with Raheem, if only so I can congratulate him on a fantastic article about R&D tax credits and tax notes. If you haven't seen it, no worries. Go to the cross-border website and find it. That's xbs.ai. We're talking about that article today. You can also earn one-fifth of a CPE credit for listening to this podcast. Before we get to even that, let's dive in. Let's start from the beginning. I'm a big history buff. Raheem, why was the R&D tax credit launched in the United States? Great question, Matthew, and pleasure to, to be speaking with you. Um, so first off, the R&D tax credit was initially launched in the 80s under the Reagan administration. For many members of our audience, they can probably remember there was a deep recession happening at that time. And so in order to restore global and international, if you will, competitiveness, the government recognized that there was an extreme need to incentivize innovation domestically within the U.S., so much so that they were willing to, if you will, foot the bill, right? They were willing to pay those dollars to put them back into the economy to help jumpstart and turbo boost the innovation that was needed here during that time. Of course. Now, we hear all the time that governments use R&D tax credits to help in economic hard times. The story of Reagan in the deep recession beforehand is very familiar to many folks. Does that really work? The short answer is, is yes. And the reason is because these investments in research and development and in innovation are what help set countries apart as industrial or technological leaders globally. And the research shows that even more so that every dollar any government spends on R&D tax credits or incentives drives at least an extra dollar of R&D and up to $3 of economic output, right? And so you can see that there's this almost 4X, right? Even if you want to cancel out the, the dollars, the dollar spent and the dollar R&D, there's still a 3X increase in terms of economic output. And that's why you're seeing that this is the largest annual corporate tax incentive that's claimed in the U.S., right? And it's there to help companies take that money that they spent on investing in R&D, get some money back, hire more employees, invest in their facilities, buy new equipment, and really, you know, inject that money back into the economy, right? And and in today's environment with the pandemic and COVID-19, I think you'll see that the R&D tax credit could be very instrumental in assisting and supporting economic recovery due to everything that's been happening over the last year. Yes, yes. In a 300% return on investment, I believe, is referred to in academia as a no-brainer. Yet in your article, you mentioned that the U.S. tax credit isn't very generous as compared to other countries. How is that? So that's a good point, right? You know, I think sometimes we... We look domestically and, and kind of are a little siloed, but you know, you need to compare where we are to the rest of the world. But first and foremost, the tax credit today in the U.S. is more generous than it ever has been in the past. Roughly, you know, depending on where the company's situation is and how much you're spending, roughly 10 to 20% of that increased spending can be returned in the form of a credit. And then in addition to that, 
it's very, very beneficial and more beneficial than it has been in the U.S. specifically. But if you look globally, there was a report by the ITIF, the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation, you know, where they did some research and ultimately determined the U.S. could be doing more, right? Because the U.S. ranks 24th out of 34 OECD countries, right? We're well behind many other countries, such as China, who are probably two to three times more generous um, in their incentives than the U.S. is. And in addition to that, there's this five-year amortization change that's on the horizon where if that doesn't get removed or modified in some way, shape, or form, uh, I think you're going to see U.S. fall even lower on that list because this five-year amortization really disincentivizes some of the R&D, which is what the credit was built for in the first place. Right, right. And you mentioned in the article that that generosity by the United States, even in that context, has little to do with the reasons that companies who qualify don't apply. No, that's very true, right? You would think that that's the reason where companies are looking at this credit and saying, you know, it's not as good as other countries. Um, maybe we should just focus there for a multinational or maybe we shouldn't even go about it. But really, the reason that companies aren't claiming this is, for one, self-censorship or, or self-doubt, if you will, right? They think they don't qualify. And so because they don't think they qualify, they really don't do any further investigation. Um, number two, I think there's misconceptions about what the credit is, how it works, what's required. And so I think those misconceptions deter companies a little bit more as well. And then the, the last piece, and you know, probably not, not the last in general, but just for discussion purposes here, is that the, the costs of getting um, assistance with it, right? If you need uh, uh, an outside firm to come and help you or what the risks are if the IRS comes to ask questions, how do you handle those? What processes do you need in place? So I think those are kind of the three big areas that prevent companies from applying, which really has nothing to do with how competitive the credit is globally. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University Weekly. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai slash tpu. There's something to at least this being a status quo problem or at least a, a mentality problem that you put a finer point on. And I can't help but think just in quarantine when we have this glorious opportunity to reevaluate all our habits, say blowing candles on a birthday cake and say, do we really need to do that? You know, now we can rethink all of our habits in other ways. How do you advise that companies rethink of today's R&D tax credit or their approach to it? I think one of the biggest changes in mindset or perspective needs to be that the R&D tax credit is not just for inventions, right? It is for improvements. Innovation doesn't necessarily mean you need a patent for everything. While that does make the process easier sometimes, that's not what the R&D tax credit is, is all about, right? So I think this invention 
perspective or concept tends to trip up clients or customers or future businesses and taxpayers feel like they have to be at the cutting edge of an industry in order to even qualify. And and in in reality, they really just need to be seeking to improve their products or processes or formulas or techniques, if you will. And even just competing with themselves year after year to get better and find new ways can qualify, right? Even if it's, again, trying to compete in the market, a competitor like Apple, Apple has cell phones, so does Google, so does LG, so does Samsung, but they're all doing innovation in different ways. It's not just because a cell phone exists that, and a touchscreen cell phone exists that there's no more innovation to be claimed, right? So I think companies just need to stop, stop thinking about it as invention only and really focus on improvement because that also qualifies. And just in speaking of tech and invention, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, Jeff Bezos's public statement as he stepped or announced he was stepping down as Amazon CEO this week. And that he said, invention or the greatest compliment you can pay an inventor is to be bored by their latest invention, because then it's just part of your life. And they've done such a good job at their invention that it disappears into that backdrop. And maybe if companies can think about the ways that they've changed things, even in so silent a way, maybe we can leave this invention mentality. You mentioned also another misconception is that companies have to have a tax liability to qualify. What happens there? I think in the past, um, you know, you think of a tax credit in order to to leverage or take advantage of a tax credit, I've got to be paying taxes, right? And that was the case for a while. There were companies that were in an AMT or alternative minimum tax position, and therefore they weren't eligible in that period in time to claim the value of this benefit, if you will. But that all changed in 2015 with the PATH Act, which made the credit available to companies who are in that position because they essentially get to recalculate what that floor is if they meet certain requirements. Specifically, they have less than $50 million in average gross receipts for the last three years and meet a couple of other requirements, right? Not publicly traded and things like that. But if they are in that AMT position now, the changes in the law have actually created a solution for them so that they can still leverage this benefit. Uh, Because at the end of the day, you're going to find that companies who are innovating are not always in a a tax paying position, right? Because they're spending money on the innovation. And so this was a way to, to incentivize and show that this benefit really is meant for those types of companies, right? So I think that that's one change on the AMT side of things. The second is startups in general, right? So if you're within the first two years of starting your organization and your R and D and, you know, you're not necessarily generating revenue and things like that, the question isn't what do I use this tax credit for, right? Do I just keep it and wait for, for the day that I become profitable or how, how can I take advantage of this and continue to grow? And so one of the other changes was startups now have access to up to $250,000 of R&D credit can be used to offset payroll tax withholding, right? They do need to show certain requirements, right? Gross receipts less than 5 million. And there's some, some other you know minor requirements. But again, the point is, is that the government's starting to change and has been right. This is 2015, but the government has made these changes to open up this credit to companies in those unique tax positions. To be honest, they're not that unique. They're pretty common, but to those companies in those tax positions. And so I think a lot of companies don't realize that. And so they, again, you know, just say, this is not for me. And they're missing out on, on significant dollars that could really help them. That's right. 
Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, big four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with cross-border solutions, AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp. That's xbs.ai slash tp. Now, documentation here is a process. What about documentation ends up being seen as an obstacle, perhaps an unnecessary obstacle in, in the R&D process? So I think with with documentation itself, um, you know, I think companies are, are fine when it they understand, you know, you need to keep your financials for seven years. They understand they need to document their client records and things like that internally. But I think... Hmm. You know, having to document this process and, and these credits and, and things like that, I think companies are like, this is an added responsibility, right? I need to have financials. I need to have qualitative information about the project. I've got to have my gross receipts because that may be relevant to some of the different calculation methods. I got to have design drawings. I got to have, right? So I think it's seen as an obstacle because number one, the tax code doesn't specifically say you must have X, Y, and Z, right? So for a lot of companies, they need that specific structured guidance. Like, what do I need to have, right? But the purpose of the IRS and the language being so broad, they understand that companies all don't track everything the same way. A mom and pop shop, right? A, a very small new fledgling business or or one that's, you know, a small organization that doesn't have the resources to spend, you know, $25,000 a year on a, a software tracking system or, or anything like that internally, they see this as a hurdle, right? They're thinking in their minds that, oh gosh, I need all this documentation. How can I ever qualify? And if I don't have this, then I'm not eligible or I'm really going to have, have, have trouble defending this if somebody asks me questions. You think about financials, you think about qualitative information, you think of all this together. And in addition to your traditional business records, you're now saying, oh, this is more work. This is a challenge. I don't track things this way. And so again, it becomes another hurdle that people put in front of them and just make it another reason why they don't, they don't pursue and claim it. Of course. Now, at Cross Border Solutions, a tech company, we have seen technology make a great difference in related activities that involve repetitive tasks or help at least grease the gears where there may be some interdepartmental communications obstacles. But how does technology specifically help in terms of obstacles faced when applying for the R&D tax credit. Absolutely. And, and I think you're right, right? Not only just as cross-border solutions as a, and as a technology company, but I think many members of the audience have probably seen how technology, I know the term is disruption, right? Has, how it's disrupting the industries, but it really has made things more efficient, right? Disruption kind of gives a, a, a misnomer in terms of how effective it has been in so many different areas. And the same thing applies for R&D tax credits, right? So 
For example, the software that we offer, it can track project information in real time. It centralizes and stores all the data. So you don't have to go through emails and spreadsheets to, to do all of that, right? The calculation itself can be done within the software. So again, in the past, different companies or providers may use different spreadsheets or templates or tools that you know have to be accurately summed up and the formulas need to be right and all these things that, that a lot of human error can cause problems and impact the accuracy of the calculation. And that's why there's three steps of quality control or you need so many other people to look at the information to, to make sure it's right because of the potential for human error, right? So these types of automation, these types of efficiencies, centralization, and not only that, transparency in the process has streamlined the process to make it much more effortless on the part of a customer and on the part of providers, but it also makes it more affordable, right? Gone are the days of expensive hourly rates and giving away a percent of your credit. It's now using a technological tool to enable companies to claim this benefit, right? So I think that's how technology just at a, at a basic level is helping. We're not even getting into the artificial intelligence and um, natural language processing and all those other pieces, but that's just kind of how the basic architecture really does create efficiency. Right, right. And for all that optimism we see in the future for R&D on the technology front, what is the outlook in terms of the generosity of the United States R&D tax credit from a policy standpoint going into the future? So the good news is there's hope on the horizon, right? There's definitely some positive uh, momentum that's been building over the last year or two. And and I think you're going to see come into 2021, right? So there's uh, quite a few proposals that have have either been proposed or are now gaining traction or gaining bipartisan support, right? The R&D credit's always been predominantly bipartisan supported in, in, in both houses. For example, there's the American Innovation and Competitiveness Act, right? Or the AIC Act, which was proposed by Congressman John Larson, who's a Democrat from Connecticut, and Congressman Ron Estes, who's a Republican from Kansas. One of the main cruxes of the AIC Act is it will repeal that five-year amortization I was referring to earlier in our conversation, which is one of the recommendations that was in that ITIF report, right? So you're seeing some positive momentum there. The American Growth Act is another proposal, which not only calls for that repealing of the amortization, but also doubles the credit from 20 to 40%, right? So, and not just the regular credit, but all credit methodologies are doubled in terms of the percentage value that a company can get. Jackie Walorski also proposed a doubling of the credit, especially with COVID-19 recovery policies that are, are trying to be pushed through Congress. And then there's also the Forward Act. And what's unique about this one is it has some of the other provisions that we've, we've just talked about, but it also is looking to expand what qualifies as R&D to include upskilling and training, which in the past, that training time, that upskilling time has never been something that can be captured. But under the Forward Act, those wages paid um, or incurred in training those employees to educate them and get them ready to perform those qualified services could be redeemable through the R&D tax credit. And in addition, the Forward Act actually is going to require the IRS and SBA to have resources available for companies in order to claim this credit, which is completely mind-blowing when you think about it, that the IRS and the SBA don't already have these policies in place. But it really just goes to show you that the IRS is really more of an enforcement mechanism really than a taxpayer advocate, right? And so I think you're seeing the Forward Act force that change. But if you take all that, right, those are kind of things that have already been in progress. When you look at the new administration, right, that has that has taken 
really big strides here in, in just such a short amount of time. But in terms of what President Biden plans to do, you know, some of the proposals that he has right now are a 300 billion, right, with a B, billion dollar investment in breakthrough technologies, right? So clean energy, things like that, manufacture, domestic manufacturing and innovation. And the hopes is that that investment will create upwards of 5 million new jobs in these industries. So you can see there's definitely a lot of focus on innovation and technology and breakthroughs and, and those next steps. But you can also see even at the basic level, some of these proposals really trying to impact the generosity of R&D going into the future to help U.S. businesses continue not only to stay competitive, but to grow and to innovate and make the U.S. reclaim that powerhouse of technology and innovation. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross-Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai slash rd. That's xbs.ai slash rd. So if there's a bottom line message to taxpayers who are inventing or improving products or processes that you want them to leave this episode with about the generosity of the credit, what would that be? If I had to give one message, I think overall we're moving in the right direction, right? As you can see with the proposals, as you can see with with the focus on President Biden's administration, we're moving in the right direction. But that being said, even without any of those changes, the R&D tax credit is still a very valuable asset to businesses that are performing innovative um, work here in the United States, right? It's already provided billions of dollars in tax savings. And again, companies that do spend on R&D can stand to recover 10 to 20% of that increased spend against their tax liability, right? So despite the U.S.'s ranking, it's still worth applying. And I think the biggest thing is if you have not claimed this benefit yet, you really should be asking whether you do, because it's probably more likely than not that there's something going on in your business that could qualify for this credit. And the second is, if you are looking at this credit and you've been doing it the same way you've been doing it for the last few years, there are definitely some changes in the law that need to be not only complied with, but could make the benefit much greater for your company. That would be my my message to taxpayers is rethink this. It's still a valuable tool, even if no changes happen. And if you haven't explored it, you really, really should be looking at it today. Of course. Now, just to wrap up, at least a lot of what we've learned today, the R&D tax credit launched in the 80s under the Reagan administration to help end a deep recession. It does work. It, it gives a 300% return on investment for every $1 of R&D tax spending that ends up driving a uh, dollar of extra R&D and up to $3 of economic output. We've also seen that a big reason that companies don't apply is kind of a self-censorship mentality or they think they don't qualify and don't find out. But 
that's money ultimately we're leaving on the table. And of course, technology can help. We want to thank everybody for listening. Mr. Walji is the director of R&D tax credits at Cross Border Solutions. We want to thank him for being here. And congrats again on a great article. You can find it on our website. That's xbs.ai. For CPE credits, email the Fiona Show at xbs.ai. That's all one word. The Fiona Show at xbs.ai. Christy Clements is our associate producer. My name is Matthew DeMello. I engineer this podcast. Mary Lynn Mitchum-Strom is our executive producer. We'll be back next week with more eye-openers on the R&D tax credit.